Hello, kia ora. Welcome to the first episode of Reading Kiwi. My name is Claire Lacey, and this is an outsider's introduction to the literature of Aotearoa New Zealand. The format of this podcast is that I read a book, and then I talk about it. Maybe you're reading along, maybe you're not. But what I hope to do is give you interesting ways in. And if this is just a podcast you put on to fall asleep, that's totally cool too. This week, we're talking about The Whale Rider by Witi Ihimaira, and this is perhaps the most famous New Zealand novel um, because of the amazing film adaptation. Out of curiosity, I ran a poll on Twitter to see who had read the novel, who had seen the film, who had done neither, and who had done both, and the results were 50-50, straight down the middle, between people who had read the book and watched the film, and people who had only seen the film. I first encountered the film The Whale Rider in a Canadian high school class. We watched the film, and there wasn't really much discussion or context given around it. It was just a way of, um, I guess, introducing the class to an indigenous culture in another part of the world. The film version, like the novel, tells the story of Kahu, a young girl who is in conflict with her grandfather, not because she intends to be, but because she really loves him and wants his approval. He is stubbornly clinging to the idea that he needs a male, that there should have been a male grandson that could inherit the chiefdom of the this Maori community. For me, watching Kahu try really hard um, to please her grandfather and going around and learning in secret the skills that he was teaching the young boys um, really spoke to me as someone who grew up wanting to play ice hockey. And I have a very vivid memory of asking my dad if I could play, and he said no because he thought I would wind up crying in the corner. And I was I was constantly frustrated um, that I felt I had to choose between being myself and meeting the expectations my family had of a girl. To be totally fair, eventually I did convince my parents to let me play hockey. And when, when they saw that I was serious, they eventually came around and did hours and hours of driving around the province of Ontario to take me to various games and tournaments. My dad even wound up refereeing women's hockey. So, you know, it was it was a slow process, but eventually everyone got on board. Um, but what I remember most is that feeling of disjunction between what I wanted and what my family thought I was capable of. And that is very much intrinsic to the story of The Whale Rider. The novel is a little different than the film in that the novel really combines three strands of narrative. So the first thread is the oral history, the, the oral stories about um, Paikia, the ancestor who arrived in New Zealand on the back of a whale. The second strand is the story of Kahu and her grandfather, but it's all actually told through the point of view of her uncle Rawiri, um, which is something that surprised me having seen the film, where Rawiri plays a much smaller 
role in the story. Um, in, in the novel, it's actually all through his point of view, so that there are three generations very much uh, present in the story. And finally, there's a strand that follows a pot of whales as they circumnavigate the globe on their way back to New Zealand at the behest of the old bull whale who leads the pod um, and leads them sometimes into danger because he is stubbornly clinging, um, much like the human grandfather, to his ideals and the way that it ought to be instead of the way that it is. So when I think about these three strands, there are multiple ways um, of reading the whale rider. There are so many ways in. The first is the domestic story, which is, I would say, very universally appealing, um, given the popularity of this book around the world. It is a really well-crafted story about different members of a family who have different motivations and aims that are sometimes in conflict with one another, um, despite their love for each other. On top of that, there's the particular Māori identity of the members of this family, which comes into sharp relief, for instance, when Uncle Rawari uh, travels abroad to Papua New Guinea, where he encounters a type of aggressively dehumanizing racism that makes him rethink his position and feel the need, the deep need, to go home um, to his family. The second way in is a ecological story. This is very much um, an environmental story, a story about the deep connection between people and the environment, particularly the environment of the ocean where these whales live. Um, the story references, for example, nuclear testing and the quite literal fallout that has for the whales. Uh, and there are some actually deeply upsetting and violent scenes where the whales are beached and uh, one of the whales is butchered on the beach by, by people who celebrate this harvest without any cognition that the whales are also sentient, thinking, feeling creatures. Ones that, the story points out, have historically been allies and helpers of human beings. The story of the whales parallels the story of human beings in more ways than one here. The same way the Pakeha, that is, white Europeans, came and colonized New Zealand, they also have colonized the environment, like the ocean, polluting it and changing it in order to mine its resources and undermine the people, in this case the people being the whale pod, that live there already. Another way in is looking at the whale rider via its Māori perspective and heritage, the inclusion of what are traditionally oral storytelling techniques, um, bits of te reo Māori, um, the Māori language, and the inclusion of traditional prayers and incantations, the karakia. And that was a really good reminder to me that, of course, of course, um, there is no such thing as a monolithic culture in, in any um, 
in any place. And so thank you, mysterious reader, for reminding me that Maori culture is many things. Here, I would like to recommend another podcast, Taringa, which is about Maori culture from a Maori perspective. Because why would you listen to me bang on about it when there are Maori people generously sharing their knowledge and expertise on what it is like to be Maori um, and the many different ways that Maori express their culture all across Aotearoa. I am also going to link a couple of interviews where Witi Ihamaira shares his own experience and talks about how he integrated his childhood and his upbringing um, and his culture into his writing. I'll include a link in the show notes to um, a couple of podcast interviews that he gave. One is from the BBC where he answers questions from readers around the world specifically about the whale rider and the other is an interview about his non-fiction memoirs. Thinking about what I knew about New Zealand before I arrived, really all I knew about Maori culture came from two places. The first is from seeing the All Blacks doing the haka and hearing that described as um, the expression of a warrior culture. The other place that I had really encountered Maori culture from Canada was in the films of Taika Waititi. And at that time, specifically the film The Hunt for the Wilder People. And it's interesting, I think, when thinking about the films that have made it overseas from New Zealand, the ones that I had encountered, The Whale Rider and Boy and Hunt for the Wilder People, all deal with children and their relationships with older generations, whether that's their parents or grandparents or foster parents, as in the case of Hunt for the Wilder People. And that there's something interesting to be said in terms of these stories representing a cultural tension um, between the way things were and the way things ought to be, um, and the way that this shows itself in the desire of these young protagonists to be nurtured and loved, but also to thrive and find a better future for themselves. Um, and that the older generations in these stories are usually stubborn, are usually thinking about ways to preserve the past by maintaining it the same way. Um, there, there's a kind of discussion about the difficulty living in a multicultural society, particularly in a post-colonial context, valuing lineage and heritage and what needs to be preserved from the people of the past while understanding that culture is a living thing and it needs to evolve and change and adapt to the world as it is now. One of the things I thought was so cool when I arrived in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is the presence of Toreo on TV, in the news, politicians use it. Toreo is really present in society the way that I have never experienced Canada's indigenous languages, for instance. And yet, there is still this ongoing pushback from the racist dinosaurs who don't want Toreo to be integrated, who still want English to be the real dominant presence in Aotearoa, New Zealand. 
And that's really illustrative of the ways in which the Māori push for equality and equity has come so far, but there are still people invested in upholding systems of oppression. From Canada, I saw two sides to Māori culture, the warrior aspect representing tradition and heritage, and also the humor. But what I didn't see until I actually arrived here was the central concepts of whakapapa and fano. So whakapapa meaning, in my understanding, the ties to ancestry and ancestors, including the land, and fano meaning family. And the whale rider really shows how these values are integrated and integral to both the Māori way of life, but also Māori storytelling, that to be Māori is to be connected to the whales and to the land and to place in a way that means that Rawiri can leave and go live in Papua New Guinea, but he must come back. And the whales can leave and go around the world, but they too must come back. And this sense of home is the unity that draws all these elements together. These stories, um, you know, the whale rider, but also Taika Waititi's films about children, really show how central family is and how children are both sources of frustration as well as joy and optimism. And that Whale Rider in particular, the way it is framed as the middle generation telling the story of the next generation and the previous generation, uh, that it is that middle generation that is able to see both perspectives, um, but that they, you know, Rawiri um, is a leader in his community, but he recognizes the importance of the leadership that will come from um, the, the following generation, particularly Kahu, who has both a spiritual calling and the capability to lead her people, um, this particular community, into a new future, a future that reunites people and whales, so reunites the land and the sea or the human and the animal or the human and the divine. And that's not to say that Kahu doesn't value the old ways. She even wins a prize at school for giving a speech in Te Reo Māori about her love for her grandfather. And I would just like to read you a little section here. Kahu's voice was clear and warm as she told of her love for her great-grandfather and her respect for him. Her tones rang with pride as she recited our genealogy, the family Fakapapa. She conveyed how grateful she was to live in Fangara, and that her main aim in life was to fulfill the wishes of her great-grandfather and of the tribe. And I felt so proud of her, so proud and so sad that Koro Aperana was not there to hear how much she loved him. And I wanted to shout, well done, good for you, to this young girl who was not really so brave and who would have liked the support of the one person who was never there, her koro. At the end of the speech, I leapt to my feet to do a haka of support for her, 
Then the boys were joining in, and Nanny Flowers was kicking off her shoes. The sadness and the joy swept us all away in acknowledging Kahu, but we knew that her heart was aching for Koro Apirana. In a lot of ways, this book feels like a love letter to New Zealand. I know it was written while Witi Ihamaira, who worked as a diplomat, was in New York, and he saw a whale come up the Hudson River. So to write this deeply New Zealand book from a place of longing, um, but also of pride, I think, comes through in the pages so that you get this deeply, deeply touching story. But these characters who are funny and flawed and complex and full of need and want and sorrow and joy. I worry I'm making this book sound really serious. And it is. It deals with very serious subject matters. But it does so with that quintessential Kiwi humor. And I think that humor is exemplified in the character of Nanny Flowers, who is Koro's wife, Kahu's great-grandmother, and the matriarch of the family. She's really the master of the hearth and the home. She's the um, glue that's binding this family together while Koro is pursuing his job as chief and looking for his successor. And Rawiri is off trying to make his mark in Papua New Guinea. At home, there's Nanny Flowers, and she's the one raising Kahu, really. And she's this larger-than-life character. She is so funny. She's always growling at people, and she's she takes no um, and she takes no flack from anyone. She's also got a little bit of the slapstick humor about her, where she is, you know, smacking. Rawiri, um, smacking the grown men um, to get them to comply with her worldview and her needs. Take this scene, for instance. Bang came her hand. Don't you make fun of me too, she said, and she glared at Koro Eperana. Huh? Koro said. I didn't say nothing. But I can hear you thinking, Nanny Flower said, and I know when you're funning me, you old paka. Yeah, 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 Koro Eperana said. Tamiya, Tamiya. Before Nanny Flowers could explode, I gathered all of her in my arms, and there was much more of her now than there had been before, and kissed her. Well, I said, I don't care if you're not glad to see me, because I'm glad to see you. You think you're smart, don't you? She said. I kind of think of humor as one of the biggest Kiwi exports when you think about Flight of the Concords and comedians like Rose Matafeo. And that's true of New Zealand literature as well. And so in The Whale Rider, it's such a readable book because it keeps a sense of humor, even when it's dealing with the hard stuff. Um, and that really contributes to the overall sense of optimism of the story and hope. The Whale Rider was first published in 1987, but it doesn't feel like a book from 1987. It deals with really contemporary issues, or I guess ongoing issues, around the environment, what it means to be Māori, and around what it means to be a family in a world that is often cruel. I've recently been playing a game called Never Alone that is about 
a girl and her fox guide. Um, and that's also based on indigenous storytelling. It's a game set in the wild tundra of Alaska. It's an Inupiaq story that combines traditional storytelling with contemporary video of Inupiaq people talking about their culture, both its legacy and its contemporary iterations. And I think this kind of indigenous storytelling, particularly storytelling that blends contemporary forms like the novel or like a video game with traditional forms like oral storytelling or art, or in the case of Never Alone, Scrimshaw. Never Alone is narrated entirely in the Inupiaq language um, with English subtitles. And I think there's something really, really powerful about hearing the story in the language um, and in the voice of a master storyteller. Here you're getting art by and about a people in their own voice. And yes, it's accessible to an international audience um, through the subtitles and through the appeal of a game about a little girl who makes friends with a fox, an arctic fox. But I know sometimes having a text in a language that you don't understand can feel alienating. And I would like to encourage the reader to embrace that feeling, the feeling of being the foreigner in the text, so that when you have something like The Whale Rider, that is a bilingual book, um, a bilingual book that does always gloss the Tereo to make it understandable to an audience who doesn't have that language, but still has Tereo as a presence in the text, that that shouldn't be off-putting. It's okay to be unsure of the meaning of something. It's okay to be the foreigner in the text, the person who gets a sense of what the language is like without necessarily understanding. And of course, these days, there's wonderful online resources um, like the Māori Dictionary online so that you can look up things um, if you want. And that's not necessary to enjoying the story, but it is an option so that you can gain a deeper understanding. And if you decide not to take that option, I encourage you not to feel um, excluded by multilingual or bilingual texts with a language that you don't understand, because it can give you a feeling of immersion in a place. Think of it as the same way as visiting a place without knowing the language. It's good to tune your ear and your eyes to languages other than your own to get an appreciation for the richness and the potential of human communication. And of course, maybe you, dear listener, do speak Toreo, or you are Māori, and so you already have a much deeper appreciation than I could for how bilingualism works and what visibility and representation means and has meant over time, particularly given the context of a history of language oppression in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The Whale Rider is a triumphant and heartfelt story that I think has 
a universal appeal because who at times does not feel out of place in this world and misunderstood by the people who are closest to you. It is a story about finding your power and finding the power in the people you love, even when they are the most frustrating people on earth. And I think that's a good place to wrap up. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast conversation about the whale rider. I apologize for some of the variations in audio quality. I am doing this all myself and I'm still learning. Um, So thank you for being patient. Let me know what I got right, what I got wrong. Have you read The Whale Rider? And if you haven't, will you? You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter at ReadingKiwi. And you can email me readingkiwipod at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And next time, we'll be chatting about Robin Hyde's book, Wednesday's Children. It's another novel, though definitely more problematic than The Whale Rider. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thanks to Nature's Eye for the intro and outro music to this podcast. I'm Claire Lacey, and thank you for reading Kiwi.